Welcome back to Second Helping, the first choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined by my great friend and college football analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter in the race for the Heisman Trophy, Mr. Brent Beard. Brent Beard, you were in Jacksonville, Florida on Saturday when the world's largest outdoor cocktail party went horribly wrong there for the Florida Gators late in the second quarter. We'll certainly get into more of that, but I got to think once that thing started to go south there just before halftime, it really, and again, one of these few exceptions in college football these days where we have a split stadium in terms of a fan base. Had to be interesting from that perspective to see the orange and blue section, the half of TIAA Bank Field, go silent. And meanwhile, the party just had to erupt in the red and black. Uh, Well, listen, Trav, that thing was close. It was a good game. Florida for uh, the the, uh, uh, three quarters of the first half that they played hard. Uh, they they actually made a few plays, and then it to Georgia's credit, in a lot of ways, it just really came unglued uh, at that point. And, and listen, Trav in the press box, people knew uh, that that it was over at seventeen to nothing, much less twenty four. Oh yeah, I mean, you could almost say at ten to nothing, the game fell yeah. over, but. Yeah. Yeah, certainly once it got to three scores, you didn't really see this Florida team coming back from that type of deficit against that Georgia defense. We'll get more nuts and bolts on the Dogs and Gators coming up a little bit later in the podcast. We're going to flow through the day that was week nine in the Southeastern Conference, and we'll get started with the pillow fight in Nashville, (laughs) Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Uh, that game could have been sponsored by Bed Bath & Beyond because it was a pillow fight of epic proportions. I guess if you can say one thing for Missouri 37, Vanderbilt 28, was that you did have some offensive fireworks. Mm-hmm. And all kidding aside, Tyler Beatty for Missouri continues to put up some big numbers. A huge day on the ground for the Missouri running back. And even Mike Wright standing in once again at the quarterback position for Vanderbilt produced some big, big yards on the ground, including a long of 70 yards for the Vanderbilt signal caller. But in the end, somebody had to get an SEC win, right, Brent? And it turned out to be Missouri. Yeah, and and Missouri now uh, four and four. Uh, I mean, realistically, they come up with another couple of wins. I mean, uh, for this team to be a a bold team would be quite a feat for them. But boy, Vanderbilt, that 18th consecutive conference loss i hope batty gets some credit he deserves trav at the end of the year with these postseason awards mm-hmm. uh, i mean uh listen batty was in rarefied air frankly uh he had 254 uh i mean uh, in in listen in missouri history uh, I mean, Devin West had 319. Uh, the, the, that was several decades ago. Uh, Henry Josie, 263. And even Brad Smith, who we remember the quarterback, had to 291 against Texas Tech. So, uh, Banny has been the constant, uh, whether Connor Basilak has or not, for various reasons. 
Bandy has been tremendous and continues to be. Yeah, he does. Big play guy uh, has really stepped in as that lead back for the Tigers this year. Has been exceptional. Average eight point two on thirty one carries against Vanderbilt on Saturday. A couple of touchdowns. Had a long run of seventy three yards in the game. Connor Bazelak not terrible at the quarterback position for Missouri. Twenty two of twenty eight, two eighteen, a touchdown. He did have another interception, but. Missouri gets the SEC Eastern Division win, and I guess for their troubles, Missouri gets to go to Athens this week, I believe. Gets to take (laughs) on George Bulldogs. We'll get into more of those matchups coming up a little bit later in the week. But you said it, Missouri still maintaining some semblance of contact with a potential bowl bid at this point. And you know what else we're going to get into a little bit later in the podcast as well. If you had to say right now, who is the number three team in the mm. Southeastern Conference? And wow. we'll allow you, Brent, yeah. to throw the records out the window. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be based on conference standings or conference record as it sits right now. If you see a two-loss team uh, that you think is the, the number three right now, we'll get into that. Maybe even a three-loss team, potentially. I don't know if we'll go that low <laughs> into the standings, but just something to consider as we move throughout the podcast. And the aforementioned Cocktail party in Jacksonville, Brent Beard in attendance on Saturday on the First Coast, and you said it. We talked about it a little bit, Brent. Florida had that game basically the way it needed it to be late in the first half. Georgia's fine with that kind of game, too, as we know. Georgia will play a 10-7, 10-3 game uh, with the best of them, but the turnovers and a little bit of a I told you so moment, I got to think from Dan Mullen in regards to Anthony Richardson and his readiness to take on such a load against a defense like Georgia's. Well, that lack of readiness was also on Dan Mullen's shoulders because uh, Mullen had the chance to play, and I don't mean start, but at least play Richardson more than he did and prepare him for that moment. And the moment, unfortunately, was just really too big for Richardson. I mean, he did make some plays. To, to his credit, uh, Emory Jones played a good deal in that uh, second half. Now, this is one of the fun things kind of about being there and uh, as far as learning them. And you know this, but, but it's just interesting to hear them. Uh, and we'll take uh, the teams differently. One is Georgia. I had a long conversation with a, a Georgia beat writer who made some really interesting comments. And, and again, I, I know I say this a lot, but I mean it um, uh, very much. It's just kind of one of those things I learned from you years ago. The comment he made, Trav, was he said, everybody thinks this team has an ungodly amount of talent. But he said what people don't understand with this football team at Georgia he said, these coaches have really coached their butt off because this team has some real flaws, and they know that. And he said, the, the, the flaws they've really got, Trevor, in their secondary. And he said, that they, he said they have covered that up all year long. But part of it is because they haven't played any great passing teams yet. So, so that has helped them. But he said, the corners are fine. Where they're struggling is that is the uh, is it that safety position? Uh, but, but he said that, that that's what's amazed him this year. As good as they are, 
in in and this is when Nick Saban's won national championships is is when he's covered that up. And Trev George is no exception this year, are they? No, and what helps you cover that up on the back end is when you can get after the quarterback and you have a front seven as ferocious Absolutely. as this Georgia group. And so you can play more zone coverage than sure. maybe even Kirby Smart or Dan Lanning would prefer because you can take precautions on the back end when you can count on the front seven to the extent that Georgia can. Now, we talked about it late in the week, an opportunity perhaps for Florida once again to feature the running backs in right. the passing game. Georgia did a great job of helping really to take did. that away. And a concern with that, too, was that sounds great, but some of those plays take time to develop mm-hmm. wheel routes and things like that. In Florida right now up front, just not equipped to deal. I don't know if yeah. anybody really is to deal with that Georgia front and its ability not only with the four-man pass rush, but when it brings the extra guy or even brings zone pressure that confuses opposing offenses and those linebackers and even DBs get involved in some of that pass rush stuff. Florida, again, under Dan Mullen, has sort of become the poster team for moral victories in some areas. Because statistically, when you look at this game, if I had told you, look, Florida's going to rush for maybe more than 150 yards right. against Georgia in this game. And, you know, it's going to throw for right around 200. Not going to put up an ungodly amount of yards, but at the end of the day, the total yards are going to be very comparable between the teams. You would have thought, well, the Gators are going to have a good shot in this thing. But the, sure. the turnovers, especially right there at the end of the first half, told the entire tale for the most part. And so the question needs to be asked, I guess, for Florida as much as anything. A couple of questions for both these teams, and we've we've had them uh, almost on loop here in recent weeks here on the the second yeah. helping podcast. What next for yeah. Dan Mullen? Because the numbers, you go back to the LSU game at the end of last season, you start putting out some of the numbers and stats for Florida under Dan Mullen just in the last nine Power Five games that this team has been a part of it's it's just not pretty brent no no it really isn't and listen that was part of the other thing that we really just kind of talked there are a lot of people at games like that besides the media that there are also people that we run into that who know other people inside the program and and the honest question that comes up with any discussion about this team is what is Dan Mullen going to do and and what is university going to do? Well, the 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 thought process is this, and this is not just spreading rumor type stuff, but the uh, but the, the the thought is they're they're not he's not going to be fired. But the thing that really hurt that, that really hurts them right now is when you play a team like Georgia Everybody uh, compares the recru- their recruiting, mm-hmm. and that's a real issue. The other thing is uh, is that pretty much everybody I talked to said uh, uh, it, it, when it comes to Mullen, they really don't think Mullen wants to be there. And and the uh, and look, uh, maybe he does, and people are or misreading this thing. But look, Trav, you hear this like I do. When you've got a good part of your fan base who are who are questioning that, whether it's recruiting or, or any part of the program, that is a real problem for Florida. 
Yeah, they have a major perception issue. Dan Mullen, chief among that. Um, there has always been an arrogance from Dan Mullen that we've talked about yeah, here yes. and elsewhere that you have to think at this point permeates the recruiting effort Correct. at Florida. The smartest guy in the room syndrome. Yeah, we'll go out and recruit, but look, you know, we'll find good enough players. We're good enough coaches. I'm a good enough uh, schematical guy, scheme guy. That and I'm a developmental guy, especially where the quarterback position is concerned. You know, we'll get some solid guys, we'll coach them up, and you know, we'll compete for SEC Eastern mm-hmm. Division conference titles and be in the national mix on a consistent basis. That that's not going to do it. That's not going to get it done. No, and it no. shouldn't be good enough. Well, we've talked about the recruiting perspective of this with Mullen in Florida for a while now, and you look at the recruiting rankings even right now. Florida's not with its 2022 class right now a top 20 class. No, I don't believe. they're not. That no. should never, <laughs> never, ever be the case at the University of Florida. I mean, you can walk out your back door, <laughs> absolutely, and 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 within a hundred mile radius, sign a top 10, top 15 class. If you really, if you if you really put the emphasis on it, that you have to, and that's long been sort of the stigma uh, with, with Dan Mullen. And I don't disagree with the uh, perception or the narrative that this again looks like, as we've described it on the podcast, a union that is still in place simply uh, because it has to be almost. And if you tell me that Dan Mullen right now wouldn't rather be the head coach of even the New York Jets. Yes. Yeah, I yes. wouldn't believe you, Brent. I, I this 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 could I have. I, I think the 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 solution for this, big picture wise, the best case scenario for both parties would be almost like a Bill Curry to Kentucky deal. Sure. Uh, sure. When he left Alabama, and and everybody kind of moved on from that. Uh, oh yeah, look, there's even uh, a, r- r- rumors I heard, and and I just couch them as this in the press box of him going to Jaguars and, and being. And, oh, see, and, we talked oh, about yeah. that last oh, week. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, we threw that scenario out on the podcast half jokingly, but yeah, if you just want to connect some dots, if Mullen isn't the guy at Florida moving forward, I mean, there's so many different angles this thing could could take oh, i guess yeah, yeah. Uh, well uh in the look trav here here's my concern for them right now uh, they go to south carolina this weekend now my concern for, for for them would be if i'm if i was a gator fan would be now south carolina s- struggles so much but 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 would it surprise you at all? They had to come back in the fourth quarter and win that game. And, and, and Trev, right now, I, I I would argue Florida State's playing better than Florida is. Yeah, you look at the remaining schedule for Florida and you think, yeah, it's bad right now, but they've got a chance to run the table in November, play in a you know a Citrus Bowl type sure. game, sure. get a win there, win nine, kind of stabilize. <laughs> stem the tide a little bit as far as this overwhelming at this point narrative involving Mullen and the future of the program and then maybe build on some things but I don't think you can take anything for granted with Florida right now and it's going to start with the quarterback position if you're Mullen what do you do now is it Emory Jones it may have to be I guess depending on Anthony Richardson's health here in the next few days against South Carolina coming up this week but 
And he's got to get that deal sort of uh, dealt with and, and give Emory Jones credit. I thought he came into the game and mm-hmm. played pretty well, you know, yeah. eight, 10 of 14, 112 yards. And the game was pretty much over, uh, runs it five times for 22 yards and the Gators long touchdown in the game. So uh, I, I would think it's going back to Emory Jones. And likewise with Georgia, I know that we talked about the perceived weaknesses that are still there with this Georgia team and maybe more so in the secondary, but I, I think you got to once again look at quarterback because Bennett yes. turned it over a couple he times. Did. Didn't really matter, but he threw two interceptions in the game. The little general, as I like to refer to him, <laughs> averaged eight point five per completion. Did have a beautiful touchdown throw uh, there in the first half as well to kind of put the dagger into the Gators late in the second quarter. But all indications seem to be you were there Saturday, Brent. That. Stetson Bennett is very much the guy right now for the Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, it goes back to this thing that you and I talk about a lot, and I, I know people just ignore this, but I, I guarantee you these coaches don't. Regardless of the mistakes, he still trusts Stetson, Trav. I mean, he he he. You know, get him into bad play and a good play. Uh, when you add up the season, he still has not. Um, uh, made a ton of mistakes. Yeah. And, uh, he can still run when he needs to, and it was kind of impressive in doing that. But see, my concern for them is if you if you don't get uh, JT Daniels in the game some uh, in, in November. Uh, I mean, some of the Georgia beat writers just kind of joke about, well, what what are they going to do against Alabama? Just wind him up, put him in the game in the second half, uh, and he and he hadn't played at all. Now there's there's not much you can criticize Georgia for right now because of the the, the role they're on. But I think that's a really good point. And 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 Trev, that's my question: is uh, when does he start easing Daniels back into the lineup? Some I just get the sense, totally from the outside. That both parties are totally fine with JT Daniels' yeah. role right now. Yeah. I don't even think JT Daniels. I don't get the sense JT Daniels no. is chomping no. at the bit to I get agree. back out there. I think he's fine with Stetson Bennett <laughs> being the guy. It's it's a weird, weird deal, but Jesus. we talked about it before on the pod. I think Kirby sees a lot of himself in Stetson Bennett, which plays into the trust that he has, and you said it too. He once again did some nice things with his legs, 35 yards on six carries. And that's the thing I think some folks miss when they think about the big picture type of scenarios that are out there that may include a game against an Alabama. Even a Texas A&M in that type of situation defensively could make you one-dimensional to the point where Bennett in the passing game has to do more than you're comfortable with. But I will say this, Bennett's legs to me – make him maybe even more difficult to defend than yeah. if at this point JT Daniels ends up playing. I mean, at some point, as you said, JT Daniels needs to play some football. Absolutely. And, and it's not just about the rust that you have to think he's accumulating at this point. It's that chemistry with his teammates. That's where Stetson Bennett is just banking cachet with this team and, and not just on the offensive side of the ball. He's their guy right now, and it's undeniable. And, yeah, Zamir White had a 100-yard game on Saturday. Very impressive. Nice compliment there with James Cook. I think the thunder and lightning of those two Mm -hmm. is very good. McIntosh gives them some things off the bench. Kendall Milton, uh, when healthy and available, 
uh, is certainly a, a very good back. But no, it's it's just been fascinating to watch play out with Stetson Bennett in this offense. And even with the two interceptions on Saturday, Brent, you just don't get the feeling that there's imminent imminent involvement oh. with JT Daniels in the foreseeable future. Hey, let's talk some Auburn and Ole Miss. That was a first half to remember on Saturday night at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Had the offensive fireworks. I thought Auburn early in the game took a page from the Alabama playbook a couple of weeks earlier where Alabama came out in heavy personnel and said, okay, you can run that 3-3-5, and we know you offensively want to get off 80-plus plays, but we're going to feed you Tank Bigsby in this run game and something you talked about extensively late last week. Where has Tank Bigsby been? Well, he was there Saturday night. Well, 207 yards rushing. You're going to beat a lot of teams when you rush for 200, aren't you, Trav? Uh, Bigsby, 140. And I think what needs to be said is that that Auburn defense, Ole Miss averaging 263. They only had 157. And, and, and oh, by the way, Travis, what about Zacoby McLean? 14 tackles. He, he basically tackled anything that moved on the field, didn't he? Yeah, that Auburn front seven, we talked about it late last week. Uh, they're legit up in there. And so really you had the injury early to Matt Corral. That affected things a little bit. But as much as anything, I thought Auburn just took control from the outset and said, no, this is the style of game it's going to be. Now, look, Bo Nix was very good once again, 22 of 30, mm-hmm. 276 and a touchdown. He averages 9.2 yards per attempt. But you've got an Ole Miss offense right now with a dinged-up corral at quarterback. You have some injuries to that offensive line. Ben Brown, arguably Ole Miss's top offensive lineman, is out for the remainder of the season. They're having to juggle and some, change some things up to that offensive line. Dontario Drummond uh, wasn't himself after the first half on Saturday night at the wide receiver position. We talked about his importance in this game late last week as well. So you had some guys step up and cover uh, for Ole Miss in the passing game uh, when you consider that Jacur Pearson, Jacur Pearson had a nice night with seven for 135. Uh, Kelly, the tight end, younger brother of former Ole Miss quarterback, Chad Kelly, Casey Kelly with a solid performance as well. But I'll say the one thing that really stood out to me, especially after Corral went out of the game there mm-hmm. for a short time, and the body language on Lane Kiffin was awful. Oh, oh it Lane, was. It, it's, it, it, come on, Lane. You know, you've got to portray an image of steadiness to your players. I understand Matt Corral is huge to what Ole Miss is as a football team. But, man, Lane, the shots of Lane on the sideline, I mean, it, it was it, it wasn't what you expect of a head coach at that level. Uh, no, and two things to go with what you're saying. The, the injuries are unbelievable. Dontario Drummond uh, with a hamstring. Braylon Sanders didn't play much. Jonathan Mingo's out into the A&M game. But, Trev, the, the, the thing I, wanna, I wanted to mention with you is uh, four times in that red zone and no points. For, well, and Lane kind of went Lane on, on a lot of that. Just would not, you know, like like – it was like an eight-year-old being asked to eat his carrots, yeah. you know, and yeah. the carrots were field goals. 
Yes. You know, and, and, and no, I'm not going to eat my carrots. And I'll sit here at the table all night long without eating my – again, there's still an immaturity to Lane. It, it's not a boldness. Don't mistake it for being bold or brash. It's immaturity. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still, it still shows up at some inopportune times and at the expense of his teams. And no, I, when you look at this Ole Miss team um, – Where's where's the big win this season too? Yeah. At this point, mm-hmm. who, who have they beaten really? At this point, okay, they, they went into to Knoxville and beat Lane's old employer. Yeah, that was that was fun. Lane's a lot of fun. You know, he's still a lot of fun. But as we're going to talk about coming up here in a minute, the other guy in the state is the guy with the big wins this yeah. season. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no question about that. And, and, and Lane says, well. We could kick those field goals and still lost two. But but look, Trap. My thing with this is, if you're kicking field goals, it goes from a two possession game to a one right. possession game. And how psychologically, how much of a difference does that make with that Ole Miss football team? Yeah, yeah. You, you did. Well, the bottom line is, your job as a coach is to give your team the best chance to win. Absolutely. Yeah. And Lane failed once again on Saturday night. And I know there's a lot of Lane lovers out there. God bless you. And I agree. He's a fun guy. He's, his offenses are fun, all mm-hmm. that. Um, but is he the portrait of a head coach at a truly elite program? No, not at all. Not in my opinion anyway. So Auburn, not to discount from the, the magnitude of the win, because for Brian Harson again, you like what you're seeing from this Auburn football team, tough, physical, uh, get a little bit of a, a little bit of a coming out performance, maybe from Kobe Hudson at the wide receiver position. They need more of that. Yes. Demetrius Robertson, once again, the Georgia slash Cal transfer, uh, delivers a couple of big plays in the passing game. But just a balanced all around performance from an Auburn team that 28 points uh, there in the first half, only a field goal in the second half. But again, when they needed to get the job done situationally in the second half, they were able to do it. Well, and they really kept Ole Miss at an arm's length. And we'll get into this later. <clears throat> but, Trav, going to A&M this week, I, I think this A&M game for Auburn is, is, without being dramatic, but I think it could be a season-defining game. Yeah, and we'll get into more of that in relation to the number three team in the SEC yeah. right now. If you had to designate that team, assuming that you would go Georgia and Alabama 1-2, who would be your number three team? Maybe you even think it's the number two team in the league right now. Speaking of the aforementioned head coach (laughs) in the state, other head coach in the state of Mississippi, Mike Leach and the Bulldogs go down 10 to nothing in that game Saturday night to Kentucky, proceed to score 31 straight in the second and third quarters. And again, you look at the NC State win earlier in the mm-hmm. season. You look at the road win at A&M, especially in the last few weeks with what A&M is rebounded to accomplish. And now a win over a Kentucky team that we had talked about in recent podcasts is potentially going 11-1 and in the regular season. That's not going to happen for nope. Mark Stoops' team now after a 14-point defeat at the hands of Mike Leach and the Bulldogs. Um, the uh, Listen, uh, the numbers for Will Rogers 
36 of 39 for 344. I mean, Trev, you don't do that in the backyard against the neighborhood kids, do you? <laughs> no, and you know me. I'm pretty cynical about Leach's offense, and I always go to yards per attempt. Yes. But even in that department Saturday night, Will Rogers averaged nearly nine yards per attempt, which is a big number it really for is. that offense. For him to throw for 344 on just 39 attempts, that's – that's impressive. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, again, a big night for Mississippi State on the ground, but they did get three rushing touchdowns uh, in the game, one from Joe Quavius Marks and then a couple from Dylan Johnson. So some red zone opportunities that they were able to take advantage of on the ground uh, in that area. And Jaden Wiley's a guy that late last season really came on in the slot to go along with Will Rogers in that passing game. We saw more of maybe that 2020 Jaden Wally down the stretch on Saturday night as he goes for six catches for 95 yards. And again, the back's a big part of that passing game for the Bulldogs as well. Uh, and, and we've got to touch on, Trent, what does this do to Kentucky's psyche? Uh, we talked about this being a maturity game for them uh, and give State a lot of credit for what they have done. Um, but look, the, the thing that really sticks out to me, Kentucky is like the last team in the conference right now, Travis, in turnover margin. Uh, it, as many weapons as they've got, uh, uh, Trav, uh, listen, I, I don't care if you've got Tom Brady back there, if you keep throwing it away or fumbling, fumbling to the opposition at some point, isn't that going to catch up with you? And isn't that a lot of what's going on with them right now, too? Yeah, winning formula for Kentucky doesn't involve Will Levis having 12 more pass attempts than Christian Rodriguez and Cavassier Smoke have combined Absolutely. rush attempts. Just eight carries apiece for Christian oh. Rodriguez and Cavassier Smoke in Starkville. Meanwhile, Levis throws it 28 times. Three of those intercepted, and you're absolutely correct. And not just, you know, not just that. I mean, you're able to overcome some of that because you get a punt return for a touchdown sure. from Josh Ali, who had been injured in mm-hmm. recent weeks. But uh, he comes back and gets Kentucky going there in the first quarter with the 74-yard punt return for a touchdown. Matt Ruffalo adds a 41-yard field goal there early in the second quarter. It's 10 nothing. Looks good for Kentucky, but again, give Zach Arnett just a ton of yes. credit. You want to know where Dan Mullen, I know Florida fans don't want to hear this because their last defense or their current sitting defensive coordinator came from Mississippi State. But, man, if I was Dan Mullen and if I'm still at Florida after the season and I'm in the market finally for a defense coordinator, I'm going back to Starkville and see if Mm -hmm. I can't pull Zach Arnett because Kentucky scores 17 in the game. Seven of those, though, were off the punt return. Otherwise, it's 31 to 10 mm. in the fourth quarter before Kentucky finds the end zone again. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, the other thing we heard this weekend was that, yes, Todd Grantham's contract is up and he will not be back. Mm-hmm. So, so to your point, uh, uh, Ornette would be a tremendous hire. And, uh, Trev, to get back to Kentucky and again, uh, preview coming, but uh, it doesn't get any easier with. 
with rival Tennessee coming up. Rested and ready. Oh, yeah. And a Kentucky team, Trev, that we thought might be 11 and 1. They could find themselves in trouble next this coming Saturday. Yeah, could be on a Duke's Mayo Bowl trajectory before it's all said and done. Um, So let's get into if we had to pick right now the number three team overall in the Southeastern Conference. And we're going to assume that both of us would have Georgia and Alabama sure. right now as one, two. Who's the, who's your three in the SEC right now, Brent? Well, I may have said Kentucky before that loss, but my, uh, it, listen, my answer right now may very well be, uh, gosh, that's so hard. Um, uh, Trev, I would almost say the winner of this, Auburn A and M game may be number three, uh, frankly. But 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 look, uh, <laughs> I don't think they are. But I'm going to give. Uh, I, 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 let's just say they're not in the banners box. But I'll give for for this question. I will at least say Mississippi State's in the stadium right now, aren't they? Trying? Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> considering they were dusted by Alabama by forty. Just yes. a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to go Auburn right now yeah. as my number three. And part of the reason why, not just because they're three and one in the league and A&M's got two losses, but looking ahead to this game coming up this weekend, the way Auburn has played on the road mm-hmm. um, so far this mm-hmm. season in its last couple of road games anyway. And I know you can say, well, LSU, Arkansas, it, it's going to be a, a little tougher uh, coming up this week in College Station for Bo Nix and the Auburn Tigers. But I'm going to go Auburn. I think you said it, though. I think we're going to play it off uh, on Saturday at uh, at Kyle Field. And, and, and could we say how – we thought this might happen. But, Trev, how valuable now is Derek Mason and Mike Bobo as coordinators? I, I, I think I, I think Bobo has done a lot to settle uh, Bo Nix down and get his foot footwork at least doing better. Yeah, Mike can really get the job done with quarterbacks. And I said it before. I've said it before in relation to Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett, sort of a same, same situation sure. involved. I think there's a lot of Mike Bobo in Bo Nix and vice yes. versa. However yes. you want to see it. I remember Mike as a player mm-hmm. at Georgia and Mike would do some similar things that you see from Bo Nix from time to time. And Bo early against Ole Miss on Saturday night, he went a little backyard, but he does it with a moderation more so it seems like in this offense than he does. And look, you're right about Mike. Mike still understands the strengths of Bo Nix. And I think on design quarterback runs against Ole Miss, you saw that especially uh, when he went to that bag a couple of times, very effectively with Nix's legs. So, you know, Mike understands the adaptation. You know, we all sort of looked at this from the outset and said, wow, under center and more of a traditional pro style offense. Now, Mike understands what he's working with in Bonex, and they have absolutely crafted an offense that really brings together a nice marriage of what Brian Harson wants that side of the ball to be and what they have to work with right now in Bonex. So uh, we're both going with sort of a playoff scenario for that number three spot this week. 
Yeah, yeah, and and listen. Another thing to keep in mind here, in that, uh, in in that Eastern Division, uh, who in the world would have thought this? But but Trev, right now, if 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 Tennessee goes on a modest winning streak, the the way the way Florida is playing, the way Florida is playing, could could Tennessee? By, I don't think this is going to happen, but but we're we're pretending here. But if that happened, could Tennessee be this be the second best team in the East? Could be, you know. And you think back in terms of how scheduling works, if Tennessee and Florida played now, oh oh, yeah, Florida's two and four. Right. The league. And one of those wins was against Tennessee when Tennessee didn't quite have it figured out. No. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, uh, you know, it, it worked out pretty good for Florida to play Tennessee, I think, when they did. It programs in sort of opposite directions. We say that about Tennessee, though. Tennessee's lost a couple in a row mm-hmm. in the league, but it's just looked as if under Josh Heupel, and I believe it to be the case, I know you do as well, that. The Vols are are playing better football. I don't uh, think there's much yes. debate about that. Yeah. Well. Well. And look, I, I know that Hen and Hooker's gotten a lot of the credit, and you and I were both at the Tennessee game, Trev. I still say once they get some players, I, I was pretty impressed with that defensive scheme and how and how they played until the fourth quarter. Yeah, and we talked about it last week. I think that's going to be the overriding question moving forward for Tennessee. Okay. Similar to what you see with Florida. Dan Mullen shows you a lot of times that when it comes to drawing it up and putting it in, he's up there with the very best in the sport. Josh Heupel certainly looks to have that sort of ability as well. Ultimately, though, you got to have the horses. You got to be able to get elite talent on board if you're going to compete with the Georges and the Alabamas on a consistent basis. So that's what we will continue to monitor where Tennessee football under Josh Heupel is concerned. Anything else, Brent, before we get out of here? Uh, a full schedule this week compared to what we've been dealing with in the last two weeks. Also, uh, it, it, I'm just going to touch on a couple of things here real quick. Uh, uh, I know it's out of conference, but Wake Forest, for the first time in their program <laughs> history, being in the top 10 is amazing. And how about Mel Tucker uh, beating Michigan and, and Trav? Um, uh, we talked a little, talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Was it time for a change at TCU and Gary Patterson? I think for both parties at TCU, it was. And that's not to undervalue what Gary Patterson accomplished at TCU. Hell of a run, no doubt about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, really. Really, the the defining sort of force in taking that athletic department in general, right, to the Power sure. Five level. Absolutely. So, just in terms of that accomplishment, that tells you everything you need to know about the job that he did there in Fort Worth. But it certainly had the feel of it was time, and so it'll be interesting. At sixty-one years old, does uh, Gary decide to stay in college football coaching in general? We'll see where it takes him. Uh, and listen, uh, have we ever seen this many job openings, Trav? Uh, and it's just November the first. Oh, the race is on. Everybody's beating it like, is. the uh, Black <laughs> Friday, the Black Friday or Black Monday rush there, yeah. right after yeah. Thanksgiving, right leading up to to Thanksgiving. No, no one, no one wants to wait in line in those shopping lines for coaches <laughs> coming up at the end of November. 
Brent, it's always a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to uh, previewing a full schedule coming up in a few days. We will absolutely do that with Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News, also longtime voter in the race for the Heisman Trophy. I'm Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. The show is, of course, second helping. The first choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? Easy as a click or two. If you would leave us a rating and or a review, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. Coming up in a couple of days, we'll preview week 10. That's right. Week 10 already in the Southeastern Conference. Stay tuned for more of Second Helping.